Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part three on CTF parenchymal liver disease. And last time I left off with this question, what can simulate a malignant hepatic tumor? And I list a number of things here, some I've discussed already, but let's look at one very interesting process, and that's sarcoidosis. We're all familiar with sarcoid, and we typically think about the chest with nodes and interstitial lung disease and calcified nodes, but actually sarcoid has a lot of abdominal manifestations from the liver to spleen to kidney to nodes to small bowel and stomach. In fact, when you look at the liver, up to 94% of patients have liver involvement, although the majority are asymptomatic. The most common CT finding would be hepatomegaly in these patients, and lesions may be solitary, but multiple is probably more common. What's interesting um, in several of the studies, 69% of patients in one study had concurrent splenic lesions. So when patients do have liver lesions, um, it's also not uncommon to have splenic lesions. Um, now, sarcoid is typically treated with steroids. Now, what's interesting about sarcoid, if you look at some of the images, we can see cases like this. So sarcoid could look identical to lymphoma. In fact, a number of cases that we've seen patients present like this, and they're presenting um, for malignant workups. And interestingly, the CT scan was done for a mild reason. And of course, you see this impressive study. You're thinking about lymphoma versus metastatic melanoma versus whatever. But it looks malignant. So sarcoidosis can have multiple lesions in both the liver and the spleen. Best seen when it's uh, hypodense on venous phase. Here's another example. And you can see multiple lesions in the liver. Again, you can think about lymphoma, metastatic disease from a number of hypovascular sources. But you look at the chest and you see a very nice example of the patient's bulky adenopathy, right hilum, subcarinal regions, classic, again, liver involvement and splenic involvement. And again, most of the time when I see sarcoid of the liver, I see sarcoid of the spleen. And again, they're hypodense lesions, they're not hypovascular, best seen on venous face imaging, and may be numerous. So again, think about sarcoidosis. Typical history, extensive disease on CT, but the patient's younger and the patient's not really sick. And again, when you have this much disease, you would have significant issues. Now, we mentioned before Bucchiari syndrome, but there are a number of hepatic vascular pathologies that can uh, simulate other pathologies, and portal vein thrombosis, hepatic artery aneurysms, aortoportal shunting, and AVMs are some of the things we might think about. With portal vein thrombosis, it could be total or partial occlusion. It may be acute or chronic, and when it's chronic, you may see cavernous transformation of the portal vein, large collaterals, and it's due to a range of pathologies from pancreatitis to hepatoma to trauma to hypercoagulability states. So there are many different possibilities. In our practice, we see lots of pancreatic cancer, so probably pancreatic cancer may be about the most common cause of portal vein thrombosis with invasion of the portal vein by a patient's tumor. Now, in terms of CT findings, with portal vein thrombosis, you commonly see, will see perfusion changes in the liver. Often, the uh, adjacent zones have hyperemia. On portal vase imaging, the thrombuses are better identified, though sometimes I see them arterially. And in fact, sometimes when the thrombus is due to malignancy, it's vascular. And we think about that with the IVC and renal veins, for example, as in renal carcinoma, but it can be vascular. But usually thrombus is best seen on venous phase imaging. Also on arterial phase imaging, you can have pseudothrombus. You can really overcall the presence of a thrombus. And then collateral vessels and perfusion changes are also well seen on venous phase imaging. So an example, here's a patient with cirrhosis. This patient has partial portal vein thrombosis and the thrombus in this case 
also extends into the splenic vein. It also a little bit extends into the SMV. So sometimes only the portal veins involved, but sometimes there may be extension. And here there's some faint calcification, the thrombus, and undoubtedly this is a case of chronic portal vein thrombosis, eccentric, and a few very nice images. Another case. Here's an example where you see thrombus in the portal vein. It's not totally occlusive, and I see lots of cases of non-total occlusive portal vein thrombus, like this one. But look at the collaterals in the porta. And when you put that into a coronal and 3D perspective, you really appreciate the thrombus, but it's not occlusive, and the extensive collaterals around the portal vein up into the hilum and into the peripancreatic region. Sometimes, in fact, it can simulate a pancreatic mass because those collaterals, particularly when they're not well opacified, makes the pancreatic head look large. But again, very nice visualization in this case on both the um, arterial phase and on the venous phase imaging. Now, an uncommon entity, I only have a couple cases, a portal vein aneurysms. That seems like a, a venous aneurysm is pretty rare. It can be associated with cirrhosis and portal hypertension. Most patients are asymptomatic, and most frequently it's the main portal vein. These aneurysms are large, over 20 millimeters, though normal portal vein can be up to 15 millimeters. It's a very infrequent finding. Splanchnic artery aneurysms, for example, when we talk about are, are infrequent, as most commonly splenic artery aneurysms and hepatic artery aneurysms. But think about it. Think how uncommon venous aneurysms are. So artery aneurysms are so uncommon. Here's an article we wrote, but venous is particularly uncommon. So I just thought I would share with you some of those numbers. And again, when you look at the list of splenic artery aneurysms, um, you know, you can see the frequency, but we never get down uh, to uh, the venous aneurysms. Let's look a little bit more carefully at these splanchnic artery aneurysms. You can see that hepatic artery aneurysms are the second most common, splenic artery aneurysms being the most common. And often you can see them as single or multiple aneurysms. And again, important thing, as you saw in the prior two slides, was the comments I made that these can rupture and patients can have a high morbidity mortality based on rupture. You can see cases like this with multiple hepatic artery aneurysms. Most commonly, that's in a patient with vasculitis. We've seen this, uh, and this is an example of a patient with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, where there are multiple aneurysms throughout the branch vessels off the SMA and the celiac, but look at those multiple hepatic artery aneurysms. It's best seen on the 3D imaging where you really get a feel of those aneurysms. And here it is with volume rendering in grayscale and volume rendering in color. Very nice imaging of those aneurysms. Uh, again, what's the problem with aneurysms? They can rupture. It's very hard to use sizes of criteria. In the splenic artery aneurysms, we talk about over 15 millimeters. Some people mentioned two centimeters. Hepatic artery aneurysms are so infrequent that there really is no good measurement. You really have to be concerned about them. Now, an unusual entity is shown by this case. You see multiple areas of vasculature in the liver is like shunting. And these are multiple AV malformations, a very impressive appearance. And I've only seen this in patients with HHT, hereditary uh, hemorrhagic telangiectasia. So very, very classic appearance. Typically, we're looking for pulmonary AV malformations in the lung, but you can see them very uh, commonly in the patient's liver. And here's just some comments. It's also known as uh, Rendu uh, Osla Weber, or Osla Weber Rendu is how I typically remember it. Frequency is pretty infrequent. 
And the uh, appearances of these vascular malformations, skin, lung, GI tract, which is the liver, and brain. It's an autosomal dominant disorder with variable penetrance. And definitive diagnosis depends on the presence of three or more symptoms, recurrent spontaneous epitaxis, mucocutaneous lingectasias, visceral AVMs, or evidence of autosomal dominant inheritance, so three of those four. In terms of organs of interest from imaging, lung and brain are the two most frequent, but also the liver is right up there. Uh, lung involvement, uh, 20 to 50% of these patients have pulmonary AV malformations. Often it's multiple. Usually the patients are in asymptomatic, but if there's multiple, it gets large. You can have dyspnea exertion, cyanosis, polycythemia, hemoptysis, spontaneous hemothorax. So there are many different presentations. In terms of the liver involvement, probably 30% is high. It must be about 10 or 15% in our experience. Again, the majority of patients, or at least half, are asymptomatic. When patients are symptomatic, you can see high output heart failure, portal hypertension, or biliary cystic disease. The typical CT findings are dilated and tortuous hepatic arteries with diffuse parenchymal telangiectasias. Think of the last case. You can see enlarged portal vein or hepatic veins. And a good article a couple years back by Jess Cola made the point that HHT is a multi-organ vascular dysplasia with multiple zones of involvement. Virtually every body system can be affected. There's an article by Lynn that talks about the same topic, that CT with multiplanar reconstruction and volume rendered images is particularly well suited to demonstration both the vascular and biliary abnormalities in HHT. And an example of that, nice case, here's a patient who's had prior embolization of PAVMs on the left, but you can see there are additional AV malformations left upper lung and right middle lobe. And here's the patient's liver. Look at those multiple AV malformations. Look at the size of the feeding vessels. And here it is from another perspective. Very, very impressive. And you can see that when you go to venous side, multiple vascular lesions, that AV shunting. Look at the uh, small little nodules, which are all vascular, uh, nicely seen on the 3D map, particularly in this example and this example on venous phase imaging. What's interesting about these lesions, of course, is they become quickly isodense. So when you scan 30 seconds later, it's a pretty study, but it looks perfectly normal. So side by side, look at those AV malformations and look how they're gone within a couple seconds of the study. So unless you're scanning early phase, arterial phase, you're going to miss these. So it's just something very important uh, to recognize. And just look at them. Look at the appearance. Arterial phase, big hepatic artery, those are the small vascular malformations. And look how it feeds in when you fill it in. looks absolutely perfect. What else in terms of vascular? You can get AV shunts. Uh, not uncommonly due to prior biopsies or trauma. Very nicely shown there. You can see that shunt draining right into the hepatic veins, into the IVC. You can see from hepatic vein to portal vein. Again, biopsy is not an uncommon uh, process. Another thing we can see is what we call the hot spot in the liver. is near the falciform ligament. It's classic in patients who have obstruction of the SVC or sometimes just the innominate artery. We get collaterals tracking downward and it's an um, area of increased flow seen only on arterial phase imaging, initially described with nuclear medicine studies, but just you're getting these draining vessels through the intercostals, off the diaphragmatic vessels, and it really creates a very nice hot spot in the liver. Do not confuse it with tumor. You can see it here in the axials and volume rendering, 
and you see it here in the MIP. Again, the key thing is seeing the collateral vessels. And here's one more example, again, showing you that blush. Beautiful example in 3D as well as 2D. Do not confuse this with metastatic disease. Look at the subcutaneous tissues. Another example, you'll see extensive collaterals. If you go up to the chest, you're gonna see SVC occlusions. It's just a very nice example. I've seen one case, and here's just one example, where the blush is not only in the left lobe, and here's a big, large blush, but also in the right lobe. So something to consider. And finally, the last thing about AV malformations. I've seen a couple cases like this. This is read initially as a vascular metastasis. You see a blush, you see a thad defect around it, and you look at it more carefully. When you first look at it carefully, maybe you think about a lesion, but the more you look, there's something about this that's kind of funny, this, the vascularity and the perfusion changes. When you put it in 3D, now you look at the hepatic artery, and now you see the draining vessels. This is an AV malformation. Okay, beautiful example, a leave-alone lesion. So I've gone through with you over the last three weeks um, parenchymal liver disease from fatty infiltration to cirrhosis to Bacchiari to liver abscess and infarcts and the like. We've looked at some of the challenges in terms of calling fatty liver. We've looked at some of the issues with abscesses. We've looked at issues with lesions that simulate parenchymal liver disease and simulate malignancy. So we looked at some of the challenges. We've spoken about protocols. We focused on post-processing and imaging and visualization. And hopefully after those three talks, you know more than when you started. And with that, have a great day.